So I just want to finish, uh, finish out sharing today about our anointing, about what it takes to make up our anointing, how God takes everything in our lives and weaves it all together to form Christ in us in a way that pours out. And, and you understand that when the anointing is flowing, what I'm sharing about, our ministry to other people, I'm not talking about things that we could do without Jesus. That's really where I think one of the dividing lines of when are you ministering by the anointing and when are you just loving on somebody? And we should love on people all the time, right? That's given. We should always be looking for opportunities to share love, always looking for opportunities to bless somebody. But the anointing means there's something supernatural happening. Christ in us is a supernatural being, amen? So supernatural just means to be super naturally. Super is a word that's made a comeback. Have you noticed that? Kids these days are saying like, wow, that test was super hard. Have you heard that? You got, I don't know, my kids talk like that. that man, that was super amazing. You know, it was like super. That's like 70s all back again, but super. To be supernatural means to be super naturally. There's something quite natural about hosting Christ in us, and yet there's something completely supernatural about it. And I would, I'll share with you another a challenge again. You can count on me to keep putting these kind of things out to us. That if, if we are able to do life without Jesus, if everything that we do could be done without him, I would propose to you that we have yet to step into the fullness of what's in us. In other words, if tomorrow you had no supernatural ability whatsoever, and you could just do your day, and then the day after that, and then the week after that, and the month after that, and the year after that, and you never do anything. We never do anything that forces us into a situation where God has to come through. We are not yet stepping into the kingdom of heaven. We're just not. The kingdom of heaven is something that Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness. The kingdom comes when Jesus is sought and when he shows up. So I'm going to encourage you to be bold and courageous in these days. Lord knows our nation needs a church right now that's awake and alive to Jesus, a real living Jesus that doesn't just have wisdom and natural answers. I'm all for wisdom. I love wisdom. And all our getting, let's get some wisdom. Man, do we need wisdom. We need a direction. We need discernment and decision-making for sure. But what our nation really needs right now is a manifestation of the Lord of glory. He needs a manif- our nation needs, our people need, your co-workers, your neighbors, they all need to see something different when they look at us. And that difference is when the anointing begins to flow out of our lives. I want to pray for us right now. I want to just share some things again because the anointing, as it was in the old covenant, needs to be mixed together by the master apothecary. And sometimes we're unaware of the fact that we have all the ingredients for it and we just need to ask the Lord, can you take that and mix it in? Because that thing that I thought was this awful life experience, you're intending on using it. That thing I thought was just for fun and it was just to make me laugh, you're even going to use that. You're going to use everything, Lord, mix it together so that I have an actual anointing flowing from above. Father, I pray that you would make, make every one of your saints, every, all of us, aware of the fact that what we carry, although we're accustomed to it because it's a part of us now, is rare and precious. That this isn't something that comes about by work of the flesh. This isn't something that comes about by intellect. This is something you've given us that's been poured out from on high. So God, make us good stewards of the anointing that you placed in us. We don't take lightly what it is we carry. 
And I pray that you'd give us many opportunities. Lord, I bless your people, and I pray that you give every one of us many opportunities to be stretched into the impossible, to be forced into a place where there's a demand placed our anointing. I pray the fragrance of our anointing would, be, would, would fill the room when we walk in, and people would come asking asking for prayer, asking for an account of the hope that we have, asking for an explanation. Why is it that we're so joyful and peaceful even with everything going on? I pray that you'd so cause us to be filled with an anointing that we'd smell of it from our skin on out. Hallelujah. Amen. I just remembered something. You know, um, there are certain foods that if you eat them, you can smell them through your skin. Like, you know, Italians, right? They eat olives, or not olives, they eat, um, what are those things called? Garlic. You knew that right away. Garlic, right? You eat garlic, you can smell it in your sweat. You know, when you, you used to take penicillin, remember that back in the day when that was the, the go-to antibiotic? If you sweat, it's the nastiest smell. You can smell penicillin, it comes through your skin. So it is with the anointing, only it smells really good. When we've been saturated to the core and it's all based on what have we been consuming, I want to urge you to consider your spiritual diet in these days what is it that you're consuming what goes in there if it's things that are of righteousness peace and joy if it's whatsoever is lovely whatsoever is pure whatsoever is of a good report those kind of things fill your heart fill your mind with it right now more than any other time in our lives we're in desperate need of being filled with the right ingredients so that our spirit has something to work with you'll hear it when the prophets come I'm telling you, you won't hear two minutes go by even when they're just prophesying by the word of the Lord that you're not going to hear scripture woven in because these two men that we have have been consumers of the word of God since the day they were born again. I hope Pat Lyon shares his testimony. Man, he's got one of the coolest testimonies of how God dried up his alcoholism at a bar. <laughs> one night, I can't wait for you to hear his testimony. But ever since then, I'm telling you, you see these two guys' Bibles, and they are worn out. Phil Capuccio loves his Bible so much, he just keeps getting it rebound. When it starts falling apart, I should do that. I just buy a new one. When, it, when like Ephesians 4 starts falling out of my Bible, I just get another one. But they, they, their word is worn. We have got to be consuming things that give our spirit something to work with, something to draw from. And that's all what the anointing is about. The anointing is when our lives are drawn upon, our life experiences, the things that we've done get drawn upon. So I'm not going to take the time to read through all the ingredients, but we already looked at how it's made of crushed olives, which means the fruit of the last season. God's going to take that and he's going to process it. He's going to press it. And it's going to, all the goodness, all the things that make anointing, make for our ministry, is going to come out of that season. So whether it was for good or whether it was for evil, all of the fruit of that season is the main ingredient. A full hen of olive oil, almost two gallons of olive oil, is the base of this. And then we put in myrrh, two parts of myrrh, which is all the things that bring bitterness into our lives. All the things that could have left a bad taste in our mouths had we hold on, held on to them. I don't know if I said this or not, but you know what to do if something leaves a bad taste in your mouth, right? Spit it out. Don't swallow. I mean, that's why our tongue, our tongue is such a gift of God. All, the human body, everything about science marvels me. But even our tongue, our tongue is trained to detect something that shouldn't go in. And as soon as it goes in our mouth, we spit it out. It's a gift of itself. I mean, kudos to all the people who went before who figured out which herbs were poisonous. 
but all, right? I mean, thank you for figuring that out. Thank you for the price you paid so that we'll know. Don't eat that one, right? But our tongue is designed by God. Part of its thing is not just to taste all the good things, but to warn us, hey, you don't want to swallow that. Have a spiritual tongue. We need a spiritual tongue to taste something and say, you know what? Not swallowing that. I'm going to spit that out. That will not become a part of my life. And I will not consume that. You can still spit it out, or better yet, now, if bitterness has gone in, maybe you made the mistake and it has gone in, he could draw it right out, and that's going to be part of your anointing. That is going to be part of your ministry. That thing that could have destroyed you is going to be used for ministry. So we have myrrh. The, the bitterness, and then we have cinnamon, which is the fragrance. It, it was only put in that anointing oil just to make a good fragrance out of it. And, and we looked at how when we walk into a room, when we go, there is a fragrance to the anointing. You know, it's an amazing thing. I don't think I shared this, but if you used to be um, into drugs, if you were a drug user, as soon as you walk in the room, you can spot everybody else who was, who was addicted or who used you ever wonder how do people, when they move to a new town, how do they find the dealers? Well, they go into a bar and it's like a spirit. They can connect and they know right away. It's the same thing with all, all sin issues. I mean, all of them all the way through, but it's an amazing thing how what's in us makes a scent, a spiritual scent, if you will. So it is with our anointing. So don't be surprised. I'm gonna, I just prayed out loud what I have been praying for all of you in secret, that God will provide opportunities where demand's placed. I really urge you to be bold and courageous. I'll share with you next week or the week after about how it is really time for us never to hold back. You ever get in those moments when you feel like, I should say something right now. I really feel this urgency to say something right now. I really want to say something right now. And then whatever, you're, you're going back and forth. Maybe you do that whole, oh, is that me? Is that the Lord? Is that me? Is that the Lord? Is that me? Or is that? The... And then the moment passes, right? Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Well, I've done it. We all do that. This is a day not to argue with yourself anymore, but to just go for it. Better to be loud, strong, and wrong than to stay silent in the hour we're in right now, I'm telling you. The enemy is being very vocal and, and out in the open more than I've ever seen in my adult lifetime for sure. But anyway, I don't want to jump in. That's, that's next. Um, all right, so we have that fragrance. We have the cinnamon, and I want to talk about Cain. One part, Cain. Cain, um, there are different kinds of cane. Most believe this was sugar cane. This would have been the sweetness. This would have been something that yet smells good, but it's also really sweet. You know, everything we've looked at so far is all stuff that comes from pain or, or that, the, uh, some kind of process in it. But life is good too, right? When was the last time you had a good laugh? <laughs> Five seconds ago. <laughs> if you hang around Karen, you will be laughing. If you need a good laugh, just get around Roy Hoffman and make him laugh. It is the most infectious laugh I've ever heard in my life. You can't not laugh. That's a, the good time for a double negative. You cannot not laugh when Roy is laughing. It infects the room. But um, Pastor Dave quoted a, a study a bunch of years ago when I first met him. And I, I'm going to have to make up numbers. So here it is. Four out of five statistics are made up on the spot. Here's one of them. <laughs> so was that. Adults laugh something like, you know, maybe 100 times a day or somewhere thereabouts. Little children, like four or five-year-old age children, about 1,000 times a day. Even if it's just a little chuckle <laughs> like that. But when was the last time you had a good belly laugh? I mean, like to the point where you could barely breathe. And if it's a long time since then, 
Maybe there have been circumstances that dragged you down. Maybe there have been just some things that life's been hard and, and heavy and all of that. I get that. I, I've been there too and I've got my own say. But it is vital that we have a good laugh. I hope you all have friends who make you laugh. And one of the things I miss most about my friend Rick Anderson, who now is pastoring a couple hours away, and uh, I mean, I thought I found the middle of nowhere. This is not the middle of nowhere, just so you know. We're not yet in the middle here. <laughs> There's way further to go, and he's there right now. One thing I loved about being with him, we'd pray together on Thursdays, and I always, always, I had about a dozen belly laughs with him, one of the funniest people I've ever met. If you can ever get a video recording of nonsense when he played the sister. And, I mean, he's like that all the time. But anyway, in God's presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And it's not a coincidence. I'm so grateful to God. There's so many sovereign things that God does in our lives in so many ways. Remember I asked you to share with each other a few weeks ago about share a time that um, uh, maybe it was with a different group. Forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> I, asked, I asked some group, I think it might have been you, to share a time recently that God showed you that he loves you and he knows you because something specific happened that, that God not only blessed you, but it was a special thing. Like oh, uh, something you and he, like almost a secret joke or a thing that you would appreciate about him. That wasn't with you guys at all, was it? I think it might have been family camp. It was, thank you, Stephanie. <laughs> so the Lord did that for me this week because I was meditating on this part of the word and this, this portion, which I want to read you a psalm that uh, he reminded me of this week. Because, you know, there's some news out there that's just absolutely horrifying. And I'm, I mean, I've never been so fearful. I had to conquer fear in my own heart. I had to conquer, you know, all of my, in my mind going down the road to how far into destruction our nation might be and, you know, what, what's going to happen next. And I went unusually far down in that road in my mind when I heard the news, uh, lots of different things that happened in the news over this week. And so this psalm, the Lord brought this psalm to my mind. And I want to read it to you because in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. This is Psalm 45, written by the sons of Korah. And it's not in the notes, Vince, so don't worry about trying to find it. My heart overflows with a good theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. You are fairer than the sons of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, mighty one, and your splendor and your majesty. And in your majesty, ride on victoriously for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your right hand teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp. Your people fall, peoples fall underneath you. Your arrows in the heart of the king's enemies. Your throne of God is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Anyone else there? You have loved righteousness and you have hated wickedness. This is the path where if you find yourself grieved by the news that we take in, it's because you love righteousness and because you hate wickedness. It's part of being made in the image of God. And it's as if God knew we're going to need help. Because in God's atmosphere, I've shared with you Psalm 2 of the last year, all the nations are raging, plotting against the Lord. They're conspiring against his anointed. And the Lord who sits on high laughs. How many of you have had to fight to get back into that place? I've been in a wrestling match all week. That is the place, uh, one of the, the rules for intercession. First of all, 
as soon as we hear things like that, our knee-jerk response should be to go to prayer. Because only the Lord really knows. Before we go down the road of speculations and before we listen to the talking heads, wise and insightful as they may be, before we go and try to fill our mind (laughs) with that, with the enemy's plans, and feel like that, we should go talk to the Lord. We really should. You know, it's so easy to say, and there's an amen in every heart right now, but do we do it? Do you do it? I didn't at first. I went and I wanted to hear the insights of somebody that I find particularly wise, and he was hopeless. So I said, Jesus, I should have talked to you first, because all he did was confirmed everything I already thought from my understanding of history, from my understanding of current events, and whatever wisdom and insight I have, you know, on that, which is about this much. So I went and I remembered this psalm and I read it to myself. And uh, you have loved righteousness, you've hated wickedness. My friend told me in intercession, this man was a prophet and a great intercessor, and he shared with all of us, all the pastors of Christ's community, that when you feel like you're carrying something, you carry a burden, you all carry burdens, carry a burden for yourself, carry a burden for other people, carry a burden for our region, for our nation. We carry burdens, right? And it's because of love. If you don't care, you don't carry any burdens. That's another way to be carefree. Free of care is you don't care, right? And there's a lot of that out there, and it looks the same on the surface as what I'm about to share with you. The art of intercession and the importance of intercession. This is all about how this goes into our anointing right here taking a moment like we're in right now, is to pray and pray until peace comes. You don't stop. How do I know how long I need to pray, Pastor? You pray until you feel his peace, until your anxieties have passed away, until your cares have been cast on him, and until that burden lifts. Remember, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. Don't go around with a sad, sour face and an angry spirit in our hearts saying, well, I'm just carrying a righteous indignation. No, you're not. You're trying to carry something that the Lord's supposed to be carrying because clearly we can't carry it on our own. And so we pray until the peace comes because the atmosphere of heaven is not what we see down here. It's never like that in heaven. It's never nothing but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. If that's the kingdom of God, how much more? That's heaven's atmosphere. This is how we pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So you loved righteousness, you hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy above your fellows. As if God knew and the king knew the king was being sung about. Of course, it's a messianic psalm, but it was also about the king who was reigning at the time. God's given you an anointing of joy because you're going to need it. You're going to need some supernatural help to stay joyful in the circumstances you're in right now. That's the word of the Lord to some of us today. It sure was to me, and I'm imparting it to you. You need the anointing of joy. We need to ask the Lord. Lord, mix this all in. I want to be anointed with the oil of joy right now. I need some outside help. And maybe it's not, I'm talking about national issues. Maybe there's personal circumstances, right? Those are just as painful, maybe even more. Situations in our lives, situations in our families, situations in our community, in our church, in, in all kinds of areas. There's all kinds of reasons to be anxious and fearful or angry about what's happening. We take all of those things and we say, God, mix it in and anoint me with the oil of joy. Why? All your garments are fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. We'll be getting to cassia next. That's the next ingredient. Um, 
and out of ivory palaces strings. So, so the anointing of joy that God is desiring for us to be a people who can taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. What's the sweet cane all about? We need to be able to taste his goodness. And I'll pose another question. This is really, you know, this is a life-altering question. How we answer this question, how we go about living our lives in moments of truth like this determines the next season for our lives. Can we taste and see God's goodness no matter what the circumstances are on the outside? Right? There's a big difference between happiness and joy. They're, they're partners together. Happiness is, if I would tell you something funny and you laugh, that made you happy. Happiness is, you know, a puppy comes over and licks you all over your face, for some. For others, I just introduced hell to you, I don't, you know, depending where you are with that. But, you know, that's happiness. Happiness is hearing the giggle of your three-year-old. Happiness is seeing your kids getting along with each other, riding quietly in the back seat of the car and enjoying each other's company in the eighth hour of the drive. That's happiness. Happiness based on circumstances. Happiness is a response to stimuli. In other words, happiness is my natural response to what's going on around me, but joy is much deeper than that. Joy is much deeper than that. Or, or he wouldn't say rejoice always. How can you rejoice always when there's no stimulus to make you happy? How can you possibly say I'm full of joy right now when your face looks sad? Because I have an anointing. Because there's something in me he is anointed with the oil of joy. I can taste and see that he's good even if life is horrible right now. It's always true. One of my favorite things about worship, and in the fall we're going we're gonna to share some things about worship. We're going to go after worship as a house. We're, like we're refreshing children's ministry, we're going to do a refresh on our worship too. Because I think we can come up a few levels in our worship and how we adore the Lord and how we praise Him. But the great one of my favorite things about worship is that no matter what we sing, no matter what we say, we will never be guilty of exaggerating. You could use every adjective and every tongue and will still run out of words can never exaggerate god is always good always good that's the contending that's the that's where spiritual warfare really comes down to we can be confused about circumstances but if we ever mix it up and say well i'm not sure god's good because my circumstances are wrong well there's the serpent in the garden coming in trying to pull us away from the father that we already know is good We've all tasted and seen his goodness, and that's why I urge you, always be testifying about his goodness. Say it out loud. Don't just ponder it in your heart. Say it out loud. Tell your friends. Tell the church. You know, we, we want testimonies here in the pulpit, too. Don't keep them to yourself. Sometimes I, I find out about awesome things that have happened in somebody's life, like weeks after they happened, that we prayed for. I'm like, that would be great to know. We were pouring out. It would be good to know I don't need to keep praying for that answer came through i mean on behalf of all the intercessors tell us when god comes through it's just uh, that's a thing testify about his goodness we can't rehearse it often enough because we need to remember how good he tastes taste and see that the lord is good you know what i love about this psalm this is psalm 34 verse 8 do you know when david wrote this psalm See, if you had a Bible and you'd look at your notes right now, then you would know. This was the psalm that David wrote to commemorate the day 
that he actually left the promised land. He'd already been pursued by Saul with his spears. He'd already been to the house of the high priest and got the bread and and the men that he used to lead in battle, 3,000 strong plus, were chasing him down like an animal. He'd been betrayed by everybody he led in battle. How many of you know David already at this point in his journey? He's got 10 years to go. He doesn't know that yet, but he's got 10 years of wilderness wanderings to go hiding in a cave, running over the mountain, behind the hill. You know, the Jewish Western was just beginning in David's life at this point. And he he had no idea what was in front of him. But he did know that he wasn't going to swallow when life brought a bad taste to his mouth. And so he wrote this psalm the day that he went to the land of the Philistines. Don't know what he was thinking, why he thought in a gath of all places. Let me go to the house of the king whose family I killed to introduce myself as a warrior, Goliath's hometown. And David shows up and he goes to the king and he says, hey, I'm here. And all the king's advisors, all the generals are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Dude, do you know who that is? That's the one they were singing about. You know, it's amazing. David, this is just a side note for all of us who carry an anointing, which is who? All of us, right. So the enemy remembered and recognized David's anointing even when the whole land of Israel had forgotten. Even when absolutely everybody at this point had turned their back on him. The enemy remembered his anointing. The enemy remembers who you are. The enemy knows your name just like heaven knows your name. Rest assured, the enemy will not take his target off of you. I'm not trying to be a downer right now. I just want to alert you to the fact. Be watchful and be aware and don't let your guard down for a minute for what the enemy's plans are and schemes are. They'll never succeed because all this did was, yeah, all of the people of God may have forgotten who David was, but his enemies were like, this is the guy the women were singing about. Remember? Saul killed his thousands, David is dead. This is that David. And the king's like, oh yeah, probably a bad idea. You gotta go. And so David realized Man, this was not a good idea because he's surrounded by all the generals and all the leaders whose armies he'd, he'd whooped and kicked out of the promised land and so he pretended to be insane. Drooling out the side of his mouth. <laughs> insane. How humbling is that experience <clears throat> for a man who was sec- next in line to the throne of Israel, beloved by everybody. <clears throat> I mean, top of the popularity list. From that to pretending to be insane, acting like a wild animal in just a few weeks' time. And so to commemorate that day, here's how David, you know, do you all have um, uh, tools or ways that you deal with sorrow? How do you pour out your heart to the Lord? How do you go about, all of us need to know, this is a question all of us need to have an answer for. What do you do when life begins to fall apart around you? When there's nothing bringing you happiness, how do you tap into joy again? Well, David wrote his journal, and it's like a third of the Psalms, or David's journal. Sometimes in the high places of ministering at the temple, some tar at the tabernacle of David, sometimes often some cave in the wilderness. <coughs> They're all good. That's the context of this, and here's what David said. This is how David responded to the news and to the events of his life. Lowest moment in his life so far. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Can we do that? Can we do that? I mean, I know we can. Then the question becomes, will we do that? Will we bless the Lord at all times? 
That's what pray without ceasing. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. That, that's the lifestyle. David had to remind himself, okay, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. I can't boast about anybody else right now, but I can boast about the Lord any day of the week and never run out of words to boast about how good God is. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Now he's like, I need some help. Come and magnify the Lord with me. I don't even know who he's talking to. He hadn't gathered his 300 yet. His mighty men, that is. You know, David had, had his men and his 300 that became a big company of people hard to hide. Um, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. Maybe he's envisioning what it's going to be like on the other end of this. When he's able to lead in front, he talked often about, oh, in the congregation of the saints, how I miss that and how I long for it. Maybe he's practicing and he can see in his heart a vision for the other end of his wilderness, which whose length he doesn't know yet. Magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me, delivered me from my fears. Notice he didn't deliver me from my enemies yet, but I don't have any fear left now that I'm looking at you. I'm unafraid. They could conspire, they could hunt me down, they could treat me like a wild animal. But the Lord's already taken away my fears. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his trouble. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How good it is. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you saints. There is no fear. Though for those who fear him, there is no want. Taste and see that the Lord is good. It's not pretending like there's no problems. This is where a lot of us get tripped up because we want to be real, right? I'm just being real right now. I'm being real because life stinks. This is horrible. And all the things going on, they're just, they're horrible. And then we talk about it and we talk about it again. We tell 12 friends all the bad things that are going on. We've just magnified all of our problems. Instead, David said, how about let's magnify the Lord together? Let, let me remember the goodness of God. And that might be all we got left to hold on to at that moment. That might be the only good thing in our lives. I, I pray we all don't get to that place, but most all of us will. If you want to do great things in the kingdom of heaven, you're going to be brought to a place, all of us will be brought to a place where everything's just taken out from under us and we have nothing left but the Lord to teach us so that we learn dependence, so that we will never think for a moment that somehow this holy anointing that God gave us was somehow that we just made it ourselves. He will always allow that thing. So tasting and seeing his goodness. It's not deflecting, it's not ignoring the problem. It's magnifying the Lord. You know, whatever you look at gets magnified, right? You ever do that perspective thing? We used to play that game when you were mad at somebody in class and I used to, like, I don't, I don't want to do this to anybody, but you go like this, right? And you go, crush your head. Right? Because in my perspective right now, my fingers are as big as your head. I'm mad at you right now. You ever do that? <laughs> no, you never did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> you did. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate that. It's all perspective. Whatever is closest to us, whatever we're looking at that's close to us is the thing that looks the biggest. So my hand right now is bigger than all of y'all because it's right in front of my eye. This is how we deal with problems. Lord, be right in front of my face right now. Be right in front of my face. I'm not ignoring the problem. I can see it. Uh, you're not my problem. I'm just a metaphor. 
I'm looking at, but I'm looking at it with the Lord right now. And that nine foot giant, he looks tiny right now. All those enemies in the promised land, I thought I looked like a grasshopper. They look like a grasshopper now in comparison to the greatness of what I'm gazing upon. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And then the final ingredient, maybe the most important one of all, is two parts of cassia. Cassia is a cinnamon-like kind of thing. It grows in a reed sort of thing. You peel it off and and make it. But it's significant because in other places where it's used, uh, the word cassia, you know, the Hebrew language is fascinating because they named things based on the shapes of the letters and based on their properties. And so the spiritual significance of whatever the Hebrews named it and called it in, in that language has to do with what they perceived it to represent. So cassia means something that's bent over, something that's shriveled up, something that has become humbled. That's what the word means. So the last ingredient and most important ingredient and the difference between ministering by an anointing or ministering by our gifts and our natural abilities is humility. There is no way around this one. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6 Peter said, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. All of you clothe yourselves with humility. Part of being clothed with Christ, as I'll show you in a moment, means to be clothed in humility. I want to be clear about what humility means and what it doesn't mean. Humility doesn't mean we think, I'm a worm, I'm useless, I have nothing to offer, That's what we'd call worm pride. It's another way of focusing attention on ourselves. As Bill Johnson so well puts it, humility is not thinking of ourselves, it's thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking of ourselves less. So we can rejoice in the uniqueness of the gifts and the graces and the personality of what God gave us and never forget the fact that apart from him we could do nothing. That's genuine humility is being grateful for the fact that it's Christ in me. Anything supernatural that flows out of my life, it's Christ in me that's flowing. It's not that I have become God now and I can do this without the anointing. It's that I recognize I have an anointing in me and that's the only way. That's humility. That's biblical humility. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Do you know that God wants to exalt his people? Do you know that God still wants the church to be the head and not the tail? Do you know that God still wants his people to be in all of the most prominent offices of authority in every sphere? God wants his people to be the most influential, light-bringing city on a hill that, that there could be. Jesus said this is exactly who you are. I want to glorify you. I want to exalt you. I want to take the needy out of the ashes and make them sit up with princes. That's what I do. That's what God's like. But when we try to exalt ourselves, how many of you know God has a way of using circumstances to humble us? So here, the choice in life is humble yourself or wait for life to humble you. That's our choice. It'll always happen. Pride always does come before a fall. That's still true. Humility, then, is not a fruit of the Spirit. Humility doesn't come because we've walked with God for a while. Humility represents a decision, 
a two-part decision. The first part is I'm going to remain dependent on God. I was with a group um, of people here in church that are that feel a call and have a grace for one of the fivefold ministry gifts to impart it to the body of Christ. So apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, to build up the church. So they're part of a group. And I was with them the other day. And this is really what we were talking about. That no matter how far along we go in our gift, no matter how many years of ministry, how much experience we have, how much learning we have, how much we know the word, how much we've become accustomed to using the gifts and all the strengths and weaknesses that we have, there will never come a time that we're not 100% dependent on Jesus. There will never be a day. And as soon as we begin to find ourselves doing life, ministering, making decisions, doing, you know, making uh, uh, choices and, and using our power in some kind of way, and we're not dependent on the Lord, we are already tracking down a dangerous road. And that road will go on for a while, but it's kind of like ever, um, we were in a, a jet ski when we were down in Aruba, and, you know, of course I had to find out what happens when you put it on full throttle, I just need to know. You know, can you, does it flip backwards? I just wanted to know. I, I did it when Anya was on with me, Dre. Uh, my wife just gave me that look. Like, you, you had a daughter's on with you. But I, I tested it first, and I just wanted to know how fast it could go. Because, you know, I got halfway, and it was, ooh, that's scary. But then I was like, yeah, that's great. So we found a spot, and, went, and we went going. When I took my hand off the throttle, you know, we kept going. We kept drifting for quite a while. And that's what it's like when we forget, to forget our dependency on the Lord, we could go for a little while, all of us. We could ride on our gifts, we could ride on our personality, we can ride on our experiences, we can ride on a lot of different things. But there will come a time when we crash and burn. And so dependency, humility is an attitude of 100% dependency. It's also an attitude of submission, that we never switch places. You ever see the bumper sticker, God is my co-pilot? I saw a great response to that. If God is your co-pilot, switch seats. <laughs> that he's always in the driver's seat of our lives. That's what it means to have Jesus as Lord. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That's the born again experience. It begins, first of all, the first reset on our relationship with God is that we come in the proper place. We're under his authority. That we're not gods of our own lives anymore. We don't just do whatever we want to do and hope he comes along for the ride. We, we do life by saying, okay, Lord, we're in this together. I'm in the yoke with you. Where are we going? Because whatever your idea is, it's going to be 10 times better than my idea. And how we do it and when we do it and where we go, that's going to be exceedingly better when I keep you in the driver's seat. So that's part of humility. The other part of humility is this attitude of submission. And that's why it's not a fruit. It's a decision. Attitude is a decision. You ever need an attitude adjustment party? That was a, a term my uncle introduced me to. He was a Navy company commander in Orlando. And he had, you know, this group of men to break him down and rebuild him like the mil all the branches of the military do. And if one of the guys was, and he said, they always seem to be from New York. And one of the guys was just cocky and, you know, wouldn't learn, wouldn't submit. He said, that boy's going to need an attitude adjustment party. And all I'm going to say is that it was not a good experience. It was not the kind of party that you want to be the guest of honor at. And sometimes we need an attitude adjustment party. Sometimes we just need to remember, oh yeah, humility. I'm in the back seat. God's in the front seat of this thing. I'm completely dependent on God right now. You know, one of the ways that we know that we're not really actually dependent on God is when we begin to live a prayerless life. When we begin to live life in such a way that we don't even take the time to connect with heaven. 
when we're not in his word, when we're not connecting with Jesus in a way that's life-giving, we are communicating without words. I really could do this without you, you know. I'm doing just fine, not connected to you. And, and I'm urging you, if you're finding yourself in that place, you know, I was, I was sharing with a friend the other day how um, my first question, if somebody comes in and wants to meet with me about things, because I'm not a licensed counselor, I don't know how to do that stuff. Uh, my Brothers, We Are Not Professionals was my favorite book in seminary about pastoral ministry. I, I don't know counseling. I don't understand all that stuff. I mean, Stephanie's, you know, that's her, her thing, and I don't, but I don't get all that. So my first question is always, tell me what it's like day to day you walk in with Jesus. Tell me what that looks like for you. Because I know that if my role in your life, and this is for all of us, by the way, your role in your friend's life could be, let me just help you get hand in hand with Jesus again. Success, I've done my job, if, if that happens. That's really our primary ministry to one another is to help one another stay connected to the source of all life. The only true place where any healing happens is to stay connected with him. And so I'll ask, and I'm gonna tell you that now, now I've done it enough times that I could say it's 99 out of 100, and that's not a made up statistic. 99 out of 100, some form of not exactly where I want it to be. No shame in that. You're in 99% of the body of Christ company. But there is an anointing inside of us. And there is a world that is smelling something of an anointing and is desperate for it. You know why the world gets so mad at the church? I mean, why they hold us to a higher standard, it seems, why they get offended when we do things that they just do every day with their friends? It's because they smell something and there's a, a, like a deep knowing. This is a deep cries out to deep. They know that what they're smelling is what they really need but they want to see it lived on the outside and they want to see what love actually looks like because they smell something and it's, it's like when Jesus went to the fig tree outside of Jerusalem and he felt around inside of it and there were no figs on it so he cursed it. It's kind of like that. There, there is something. The world's looking to find out what love looks like. What is the Father? Show me the Father. Show me Jesus. And they're desperate for it and when they don't get that, then, then they get offended with that. So for us, this lifestyle of dependency, this lifestyle of complete surrender and submission to the will of God. We live that way, and then the natural fruit of our life will be exactly what it is that we're, we're looking for. So Jesus was the only one who ever had the right to be proud. If there was a person who lived that could say, I am proud, the word proud means preeminent. It means me above everybody else. It means I am more important than anyone in the room. It's that narcissistic kind of mindset. It's me, me, me. I jut out. It's the, the, the Hebrew word for proud. One of them anyway is to jut out. It's that rock that sticks out in front of all the rest. And, and that's what pride looks like. But Jesus had the right to be. He didn't have to promote himself. <coughs> he didn't have to become God. He was God in the flesh. He always was that way. And so he could have said, me, me first. Everybody come and worship me. He had the right to demand worship, but he never did. Instead, Jesus operated out of humility. Why? To show us what love looks like. To show us how the anointing operates. Humility. Humility. Cassia, the last ingredient. A double portion of humility is the last ingredient. So Jesus said to us, come unto me, all you that travail and are heavy laden. I will refresh you. Take my yoke upon you you and learn from me for why for i'm gentle and humble in heart i'm humble in heart there's something about you ever get in a life group setting and it's time now to share 
your deepest, darkest secrets and your problems and your issues, and you're new to the group, and you ain't sharing nothing at first meeting, right? You, you're kind of getting the lay of the land. You know, is this a, what's going to happen if I, if I share my problems? Am I going to become this group's project? Are they going to talk about what I shared outside of the circus? All these things that make us kind of pull into ourselves and all of that. One of the qualities in a group of people, and it's not just life groups, it's any gathering of people. One of the qualities that makes people feel comfortable to share is when there's a recognition. Everybody around this group is humble. Everyone around this group and otherwise recognizes their dependency on Jesus Christ. That there's nobody here around this table that says, well, I earned my way to this table. What are you doing here? <clears throat> there's not a feeling. As soon as there's a, a sense, and we can sense it because it's the cassia and the anointing. We can smell humility. There's something about knowing that you might be 50 years older in Christ and you might be somebody whose life looks like, man, is there anything left you know, to attain to perfection? Because I haven't seen or heard a flaw yet in you. And that person might be intimidating, but when you get a sense that that person is humble, completely dependent on God, there's just something that makes a, makes a heart feel like this is safe. You are, you are somebody that I want to be. You're, you're who I want to be when I grow up. But you're humble. You're not proud in your character. You're not proud in your wealth. You're not proud in your disposition and all the fruit of the Spirit. There's something humble about you. And I feel like I could pour my heart out to you because of that. And that was Jesus. Jesus didn't have to work for anything. He, he, just be, he was God. In the flesh. He didn't have to attain to it. If you have a Bible, turn to Philippians 2. I'm going to close with that passage in a moment. So it's easier to choose humility than to be humbled, right? It's easier to say, I will live dependent on God and I will live submitted to His will. I will live that way all of my life. I will acknowledge that apart from Him I can do nothing. I will live in that kind of a way. That's easier, but God loves us enough that he'll humble us. He'll, he'll let us fall before the pride brings a bigger fall. He'll let us fall on our face and be right there to pick us back up again. Say, hey, you want to do that with me this time? It hurt a lot less. Let's do this together. Peter, who wrote that scripture I read to you, knew it better than anybody. Peter, at the Last Supper, when Jesus started talking about the betrayer and all of that, Peter, brave, bold Peter, they may all deny you, but I'm ready to die for you. Oh, Simon, Simon, Simon. My man, Simon. Before this night's over, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Three times. Peter did it. He went off and wept bitterly. He was humbled. That's why I think that, that scripture is First Peter. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Let him exalt you. <coughs> Trust me, you don't want to do it yourself. Peter was the ideal one. He had that. <coughs> but Peter's humility after he was humbled postured him to receive his new anointing for a new season. Because when Jesus came to him to restore him after the cross, he said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love these? Do you love me more than these? And some people think maybe he's talking about the fish, but I think Jesus was pointing at the others at the other apostles. Do you, do you really love me more than all of them, like you said at the Last Supper? And Simon said, oh, you, you know, Lord. You know. I'm humbled. I, I don't... I get it now. He was perfectly postured to be the lead apostle for the church in Jerusalem, which he became. Perfectly postured, because he'd been humbled. 
<clears throat> let's, um, I'd like to read this over us. And as we, I just I want to close with this. As we prepare to really just live in such a way that God's using a new anointing for a new day, stirring this thing up in us, that if we will live a lifestyle, we, you, you already have everything you need. I was thinking about laying hands on everybody and having some of the ministry leaders lay hands on everybody today, but I really felt the Lord say, no, you already have what you need. All I've done is made you aware of the ingredients. Now it's time to just say, okay, master apothecary, do your work and pour out of me all of these things. Take all of the life experiences that, that I've just hopefully made you aware of in the last three weeks. Take those all together and lay them before the Lord. Because I would suggest, my, my brief proposal is that we have Christ in us. We already have everything we need for life and godliness. And the only reason why the anointing's not flowing because something's restricting it. Maybe we have bitterness and we haven't dealt with that yet to pull it out so it could be made an ingredient of the anointing. Maybe we, we have stifled the fragrance because we don't, we don't want people coming to us. Maybe we have become a lamp um, under a bushel rather than a, a light on a hill. Maybe we have, it has been a while since we've just plain old enjoyed the Lord and we haven't done that or maybe as I'm gonna close with here, maybe we just haven't carried it in the kind of humility that lives a life of dependency and a life of complete submission to the Lord. So here is our example. This is how Jesus did it. <clears throat> Jesus didn't need to do it like we do, but he did it anyway because he's a forerunner, which means follow him. Follow him, eyes fixed on Jesus. We run our race with perseverance. So Paul said it, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look on to your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which also was in Christ Jesus. I do have that scripture in there, Vince, if you want to put the slide up for everybody who didn't bring a Bible. I'm up to verse 6 now. Who... Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, Jesus didn't have to fight his way to be God. He was the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He was that way. But he emptied himself. That's humility. Taking on the form of a bondservant. I mean, how many you know it was humbling enough for the eternal Son of God to take on flesh? To actually live in a human body. This is the God who the heavens can't contain him. All of creation's not big enough to contain him, and yet he took on a human body. <clears throat> that was humbling enough. But then he took on the form of a bondservant. He could have, if he would have taken on the form of the emperor of Rome, that was already a demotion for him. If he would have taken on the form of the king of Israel, or the high priest of Israel, that already would have been a demotion, but that wasn't low enough. That wasn't low enough for the one who's meek and lowly of heart, who's humble. He took on the form of a servant, best embodied when he washed the feet of his disciples at the Last Supper, the lowest servant in the household. He was above ministering to nobody. 
He would stop and take the time to talk to one lonely woman at a well as much as he would take the time to talk to 5,000 and preach to them. He would sit in the house of the wealthy and treat them no differently than he would the prostitute who came and washed his feet. He was that way as an example to us. That's why the anointing could rest upon him. That's why the Spirit of God dwelt in him like it had never done before in any human vessel it ever contained. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name which is above every name. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you in due season. Jesus first, then all of us. You want to minister with a profound, powerful anointing that doesn't run dry? We follow after Jesus in this. This is the route to it. He had the anointing as is every one of us, but this is how he went about it. And so because he lived that way, because he viewed himself as never above anything whatsoever to use that anointing for, he just seemed to rejoice in using his anointing to minister to the poor and the outcasts and the leper and the blind ones. He just looked for people like that. Never once sought any public place. So God looked at that and God said, oh, oh, I can exalt that because you will never get full of yourself. You won't become like the devil who thought he should be God because Whatever he was doing in heaven was drawing a lot of attention to himself. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Would you stand with me to your feet? Would you grab hands with one another? There's also one thing about the anointing is that it's absolutely meaningless until it gets used, until you connect it in community. And there is a corporate anointing to be found when all the anointed ones, the holy ones, the saints of God, join together when we're of one mind and in one accord. So Father, I pray that you would see fit at Hillside not just to pour out your Spirit on us, but to bubble up your Spirit within us, that the anointing of God will flow freely one to another that we would express that, the gifts and the graces and all the supernatural ability first to one another, that this body would be strong all throughout, that there wouldn't be a weak one among us from the newest or youngest saint of God to the oldest, most experienced and anointed among us. There wouldn't be a one who's weak in any way, but we'd be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We bless you, Lord, and we thank you for the opportunity that you've presented us in this day to be those who set captives free. May the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord be upon us and anoint us to bring good news to the poor. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise God. I love you guys. Have a great week in Jesus, and I'll see you again in the plan. Love you.